Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. We've all heard that phrase. It originally came from Western movies, but now it's become a stock phrase used to emphasize that two rival characters cannot coexist. But this stock phrase can be descriptive of very real situations where rivalry and conflict arise. Sometimes it's in an office where two managers are both wanting their plans to go ahead. Sometimes it's in a sports team where two players both want to be the star. Sometimes it's in a home where two squabbling teenagers both want to run things their way. It's even uglier when this kind of rivalry gets played out in a church. And that's what Paul is anxious about here in our epistle reading. He's dealing with an ugly rivalry between Jewish and Gentile Christians. Israel as a whole has rejected the Messiah, but an increasingly large number of Gentiles believed in Jesus and joined the small minority of Jews who did accept the gospel. Because of this, some Gentile Christians seem to have thought that They had replaced the Jews in God's plan, that the church was now a Gentiles-only club. This is where the jealousy, rivalry, and old prejudice come in. The church is not big enough for the both of them, they think. So throughout Romans 11, Paul is answering these questions. Can any more Jews be saved, or has God rejected them? What really constitutes, makes up the people of God? To explain this, Paul begins first by offering a solemn warning. The fate of Israel is a neon sign whose letters shine the bright declaration of God's patient kindness to those who have faith and his ultimate severity to those who do not. Think about the history of Israel. They were constantly rejecting God and serving Baal instead. They ultimately were exiled out of the promised land for failing to listen to the warnings of the prophets. The temple in Jerusalem were given over to the flames, not once, but twice. So the apostle Paul says, Don't be proud, you believers, but fear. God does not change. What he did in the past, he can do again in the future. If God will do that to his own people, his own nation, Don't think he won't do the same to you if you forsake the faith he has given you. God is like a master gardener. He takes the pruning shears and cuts off dead and fruitless branches off the olive tree. He breaks off the spiritually dead branches of Israel's. When Gentiles become Christians, the opposite is happening. Gentiles are like wild branches grafted into the original cultivated olive tree. You and I are a part of that. We're wild branches. This means we're not part of God's people because because of our family or because we're a specific race or ethnicity. We're part of God's people by faith. The people of God are a single family. The children of Abraham identified 
by faith in the Messiah. Paul's point is simple. Anyone can be part of God's family by faith in Jesus. Likewise, anyone can be really cut off from the tree if they don't have faith. Those who have been cut off can come back, and the way for them to come back is to have faith in Jesus the Messiah. They can be grafted back because they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, Paul says. See, we have a real warning about falling away. If God did not spare the physical descendants of Abraham when they fell in unto belief, he will certainly not spare you, a Gentile Christian, if you also fall into unbelief. And if those who were born Jews became unbelievers and were cast out, it's not impossible for Christians of Gentile origin to fall in the same way. Do not ever take the grace and mercy of God lightly. If someone pulls you from a burning building, you don't run back into the building again because, hey, that was a lot of fun being carried out by a fireman. If God rescues you from sin, death, and the devil and grants you faith, do you return to sin, death, and the devil and destroy your faith? Of course not. But it happens. When we see the unbelief of others or when we see others fall away, let it warn us all the more to look well to our own faith. Paul's warning also has a specificity to it. The Jews looked down on Gentiles and wrongly thought that they were secure because of their ethnicity. And some Christians have much the same kind of attitude. We must not suppose for a moment that God's grace is tied to a particular ethnic group. If you make that mistake, relying on ethnic ethnic identity, to decide who's in God's people instead of faith alone. You can expect God to react in the same way he did with unbelieving Israel. The Jews also made the mistake of assuming that God's choice of Israel perpetually guaranteed spiritual benefits to each and every member of the nation. If anyone was born as a Jew, was circumcised, kept the law, the best they could kept the law the best they could, offered the sacrifices, then they thought their salvation was secure. Many Christians likewise presume a sort of corporate election. Members of my church are in automatically. There are many who profess to be Christians and assume that they'll go to heaven because they're external members of the church. I was baptized, I was confirmed, I went to church regularly, I had communion. I'm saved, right? But going to church, partaking of the word of sacraments, is not enough. Going to church and partaking of the sacraments is not enough. Isn't that a crazy thing for a Lutheran pastor to say? You actually need to respond to God's word and sacraments with repentance and faith. Not just once, but daily. They're not magic. And it's not enough to claim to be a Christian. You actually have to be one. And all of us are in the same boat. A gracious God was met with disobedience. And to our shock, he uses that disobedience to have mercy on us. This is how God has decided to act, to rescue a world overflowing with disobedience. You are disobedient apart from faith, but you have received mercy. The Jewish people remain disobedient apart from faith. Yet God still calls them home to receive mercy. 
No deals, just grace and mercy and undeserved kindness and forgiveness, a forgiveness they don't deserve, and neither do we. For God has consigned all to disobedience so that that he may have mercy on all. Note the all. All are disobedient, the good, the bad, the Jew, the Gentile, the religious, the unreligious, black and white, all are condemned. It was necessary for all people, Jew as well as Gentile, to be shut up in a prison that we can call disobedience. Locked in this prison, all hope and all self-help had disappeared. Disobedience and more disobedience was all we had and all we could bring forth. Only one door allows one to leave this prison, and it's inscribed God's mercy. God has placed all Jews and Gentiles on the same level in order to save all of them by the exact same means, namely his mercy. This is the mercy which was gained for you by disobedience. Gentile disobedience led to God choosing the Israelites. In our disobedience, humanity put the Messiah to death on the cross, and God used that to save us. Jesus was brought low so that the entire world would be lifted up. Jesus was cast away so you might be accepted. Jesus was brought back to life so that all might live through him. Gentile disobedience, God used the unbelief and rejection of Jews to make room for you, for Gentiles in his Israel, his church, and to show the world that true salvation is by grace, through faith, apart from works. This gratuitous mercy saves all alike by justification through faith. The mercy that he gained is available for everyone as a free gift of grace, not a privilege or birthright. Because all have sinned and all are disobedient. But God has had mercy upon us all, the Jew, the Gentile, the Israelite, the Canaanite, black and white, even you. We become part of God's family by faith. We remain in God's family by faith alone. The gifts and promises of God are irrevocable. God does not go back on his word. If you turn to him, you will find a savior in Jesus who has always been turned to you. You don't deserve God's mercy, nor do I, nor does anyone. It is by grace that you have been saved, a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. And it's by grace that you are here this morning. By grace you hear the word of faith preached to you. And by grace that you receive the sign of God's mercy in Christ, in the body and blood given and shed for you. And may that peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at icloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.